Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of uh, Proverbs, the 31st chapter. Proverbs chapter 31. It says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, this king is actually unidentified. His identity is uncertain. We don't know who he is. Some have speculated that it could have been Solomon. I don't... uh, or know whether that could have been the case or not. But it's one dedicated to God, and it means belonging to God. His name means belonging to God. In fact, uh, it may be symbolical even as an idol, uh, as an ideal king, one that would be the very best kind of a king. And notice it says the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Could be, it could have been her firstborn. Such as Samuel was a firstborn of, uh, well, can you give me the name? Hannah. Samuel was the firstborn of Hannah. And so, uh, and in answer, Samuel means, of course, that God hears and answers prayer, that God has heard. And so we find that um, actually here there's a lot of things that need to be considered. As we look at each verse, I know that most of you that have heard me teach in Sunday school follow along because sometimes we go through the verse again to draw more out of it. And we'll do that especially in the verses that we'll teach tonight all the way through. But notice it says the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Notice the teaching of mothers. Mothers are very important in teaching their children. In fact, uh, many times you'll find that when sons or daughters grow up and they're 20, 30 years old or 40, they, the first time they get in trouble or the first time they need some help, they'll get mother on the phone. They'll say, Mama. <laughs> That's the first word they utter. They go right back to when they were taught at a very early age. I know when my son gets sick, the phone rings, and the very first word he'll say is Mama when he's sick. And he's 45 years old. So he says, Mama. And then if he has a problem with a car or something like that, he'll say, Daddy. Because he knows that I've got to, not that I'm a mechanic, but that I can do something about getting him out of the situation or whatever it is. But that's the way children are. And it's wonderful to be taught of mothers because mothers uh, teach with a great deal of love and compassion as they teach. And she says in verse 2, What, my son? Notice these questions. And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? Give not. Now she begins to show the teaching she has taught. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Do not waste your substance on sensual and uh, ungodly habits, practices, deceit, or false that you might find concerning these things. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. The things that destroys men is, is bad women. There are three things that you need to be in guard, uh, on guard about, and that's bad women and bad debts. Don't, don't, don't owe anyone and don't fall into the trap of going with the wrong kind of women. There are many good women. There are many ladies. There are many people that will help you. Used to say dames and debts. I don't know if that's the word. Right. <laughs> way to put it or not. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Now then look at the next verse. It says, 
It is not for kings. Notice the instructions he's receiving. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Not fit to hold uh, the reins of government. Kings that drink and are addicted do, are not fit to hold the reins of government. They're incapable of doing justice and judgment. They pervert judgment, especially of any of the afflicted. You know how that can affect people today. It would be not for presidents, not for governors, not for leaders, not for mayors, not for uh, those in power to be given to strong drink. If it's not for kings, it's not for the Congress or the Senate or the men of authority in our nation. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that they asked him what he was going to serve, and he said, clear spring water. And uh, that would be good if they'd get back to that. I don't know how much the liquor bill is in our nation today, but I know it used to be very expensive. And uh, it's not right for them to drink that. In fact, it's not right for anyone to drink it. The Bible says, uh, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And the Bible tells us what it will do. In uh, Proverbs 23 and Isaiah chapter 5, you can find passages of Scripture that will tell you that it's a bad thing. Don't be given to that. And then it says in verse 6 and, and 7, Give strong drink unto them that is, that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. It's mercifully given to the condemned criminals. It's mercifully given to those that are, that are uh, uh, afflicted. Let them drink and forget his poverty. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Less sensible in the torture that one is enduring when he's dying. There, if, there are certain instances that, for medicinal purposes, it would be proper to give strong drink. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that are of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So there is a proper use. Of alcohol. Verse 8 says, Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Those that have no counselors, open thy mouth. Give counsel to those that need counsel. They'll find your help needful. It says, Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Take their cause. Take up their cause. Plead their cause. You know, I wonder how many people will plead the cause of those that are unable to plead their own cause. Remember when David went out against Goliath and his brothers were being threatened by the power of this giant? And uh, David couldn't quite understand it. He had more uh, courage than he had strength. But yet God was with him, and that was the important thing. If you'll remember the story, when they said... You've come to see the naughtiness of the battle. You've come to you're you're just up here to try to to find out what's going on, and you don't even belong here. They said to their little brother, you know. And finally, David said, "Is there not a cause? Sometimes, for the right cause, we need to put our life on the line, and we need to put all of our convictions behind it for the right cause." And here it says, "Open thy mouth and judge righteously, and plead the cause." Of the poor and needy. 
Sometimes you and I have to intercede for them and plead their cause. Now, in verses 10 through 31, we have the virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman? There's a lot to be said about these verses, remaining verses. There are 22 of them, by the way. And there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with verse 10, that start each of these verses. They form an acrostic. And we find in these uh, 22 verses many things about the virtuous woman. First of all, a pleasant appearance. We find a godly character. We find an efficient homemaker. We find a loving helper to her husband. We find a wise mother and worthy of honor and commendation. We find that she's intelligent and she's creative. She's industrious. She's loyal and faithful. She's submissive. She's chaste. She's beautiful. And she's feminine. With all these characteristics... I don't see how anyone could go wrong with this woman that's described here. And it'd be wonderful if we had many women like her. Now let's notice verse by verse. First of all, verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Now the first thing that that is important, she is virtuous. That means she has high moral standards. That means she keeps herself from the low, degraded things of life and and holds up herself as a real Christian woman. Wouldn't wouldn't it be wonderful today if we could encourage our young people and as they grow up and young married couples and the mothers in those homes as, as they bring up children and older ones to be more virtuous, to be more godly in their lives. The Bible teaches that we should uh, recognize women that are godly. And the Bible teaches that we should encourage them to be so. And mothers ought to teach their daughters and, and these younger ones not to fall into the trap of being uh, fallen into sin and lust and the various uh, fleshly things that entice young people today. I remember my mother used to tell me when I'd go out of the house as a young man, She'd say, son, be a good boy. Well, I wasn't a very good boy, but I tried to be because she told me to be. You know what I mean? All of us have our faults. But I believe it had a great impression on my life for her to tell me when I'd go out. I'd go uptown and I'd have to deal with the public and whatever. She'd say, be a good boy. Well, I did the best I could. But on the other hand, it's by the grace of God that any of us are are, uh, able to overcome certain sins in our lives. But to encourage people to be the right kind of people. Who can find a virtuous woman? And it says, she's invaluable. Her price is far above rubies. Can you imagine the comparison to what she's worth? What's her price worth? You say, rubies are very valuable. All precious jewels are very valuable. We find pearls and rubies and diamonds and all the things. But her price is what? Above rubies. No, it says her price is far above rubies. She's the most valuable asset. And then we find in verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. My, how we need families where the husband can trust, completely trust his wife. 
and has no suspicion whatsoever. Has nothing to worry about. That's one thing I don't have to worry about with my wife. She can be trusted. She's faithful to me and true to me. So that he, he shall have no need of spoil. In other words, she is unspotted. And she will continue to be. And then I want you to notice verse 12. She will do him good all, uh, do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Notice that she has her husband's happiness always in view. She will do him good all the days of her life. And not evil. Do, do you not admire Christian people that are consistent all the days of her life? Not just people living a spurt of religion or Christianity or just coming to church a few times and getting real uh, dedicated, so to speak, and rededicating their life. And for about two months, maybe in a row, they're in church and they're praying and they're working and they're serving God and, and everything seems to be going well. And in a little while, you can't even find them. And they're back in, in their ordinary routine. Maybe even not in an ungodly type of situation, but a neglectful situation where they just neglect the things of God. They get into this uh, rut of not coming to the house of God and not praying and not reading their Bible and not associating with Christian people. And we have people all over Redosa that that that's that way. We have people that used to belong to this church that still belong to this church that are that way. And other churches all over town. We're not just talking about this one, but of various denominations. And they get out, and the first thing you know, where do you find them? Their name's on the church roll. But that's not very consistent, is it? The Bible tells us that the early Christians, listen, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in fellowship. How? Steadfastly. They continued. I like that word continued, don't you? People that are just... uh, Hot one day and cold the next. It's hard to deal with those kind of people. So we find that she will do him good all and not evil all the days of her life. Her her principles are set. She's going to do the right thing. And then in verse 13, it says, She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She procures raw materials to do the work that she needs to do in providing for her home. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. And then, you know, it's something to work, and it's another thing to work willingly. Look at what that says. Worketh what? Willingly with her hands. People do not like to be forced to do things, or told to do things all the time. Why don't you just let them do what God lays upon their heart? Someone says, I'll make you do this, and I'll make you do that. No, you won't make me do anything, but I'll do it if you'll ask me. I'll sure do it. Jesus said, listen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He didn't say make your light. A lot of people are in the business of trying to make themselves look like they're really, uh, you know, beaming and... uh, blossoming type of Christians that are just, they're just, you know, they got that Shekinah glory shining on them. Don't do that. It says, let your light so shine. And if you do God's work, He'll give you the light. And He'll make it shine. And it says, furthermore, to put your light on 
don't put it under a bushel or hide it under the bed, but put it on the candlestick. And I find, and some people may disagree with this interpretation, but if you will notice in the book of Revelation, Jesus said that the seven churches or the seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches. And to me, that means that if your light is really going to shine, you're going to be a member of that church and let it shine through your membership of that church. Didn't he say that the seven... He says, here's the seven golden candlesticks. And he says, the seven golden candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. These represent the seven churches. And he says, don't let your uh, light be hidden under a bushel back to the Gospels now. Or, but he says, put it on the candlestick where it can shine. And I believe that we should detect from all the teachings of the Scripture that we are to be members of the church and we are to be uh, lights in the church and our light is to be added to the other lights so that we will be a, a testimony and a lighthouse in the community. And that's what makes this church shine and any other church that that uh, has a testimony is because of all the membership, not just a few. It's every person, every member in the church being dedicated to God, trying to live a Christian life and letting Christ work in and through them. And when it does that, you don't have to tell everyone that this church has a testimony. They see it and they know it. And, and Jesus said, by this, listen, Shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love. One to another. Amen. He says, all men shall know. What's your greatest testimony? Is to be a loving, caring Christian in a local New Testament church and doing the will of God from the heart, willingly. It says, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She's cheerful in her service. She worketh willingly with her hands. Her will and her heart is in the work. Look at verse 14. It says, She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She acts like a merchant. She goes out and she brings the food from afar. In verse 15, She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She puts in long hours. You've heard about a, a mother or, or the woman of the house, the lady of the house. You've heard about the homemaker. Her hours are longer than anyone else's. They used to say, a man's work is from what? Sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. And that just about holds true. I find that when I'm trying to get a few Z's, well, my wife's already up at 6 o'clock in the morning doing things. This morning, she woke me up. and Well, I usually set the alarm pretty early. And before it went off, she had breakfast ready. But she gets up. And, you know, you get about your business. She, she does. And she works late. And that's the way women are in the home. They just feel like if there's something that has to be done, the hour of the day or night doesn't make any difference. They'll get the vacuum cleaner or wash the dishes or do work around in the house or, or whatever work is to be done. It has to be taken care of. Puts in long hours. Look at verse 16. She considereth a field and buyeth it. Evidently, she's pretty con, uh, conservative with her money. She takes care of her money, her finances. And so when there's something to be bought, she has the money to buy it with. It says, She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. She provides for the needs of her family. She takes care of her own health. 
She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She means she it means she takes care of her takes care of herself. By the way, you take care of your own health. You're responsible. You know, God gave you a wonderful body, but you neglect it, and you neglect it until uh, things start falling apart, and you'll find that it's your own fault many times. It doesn't mean you can't have sickness. It doesn't mean there can't things happen to you. But I'm talking about as far as your body. The Bible says that your body is the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. It says, if any man will destroy, uh, defile this temple, him will God destroy. You start defiling your body and see where it ends up. You remember the one that had to go out, the king in the book of Daniel, that had to go out and God, uh, he was to dwell among the beasts and finally his, his nails were like uh, bear's claws and animals and he had the dew upon his back and he was like a, a, an animal when he finally figured out that he should obey God. There's a scripture in the New Testament that talks about Christ's body or the church. And it says to the neglecting of the body. So you can neglect this physical body and also the church body can be neglected if we let it go. You've got to take care of it. And pastors and teachers, preachers, we're to be responsible for at least showing each and every soul that we have a great responsibility that we do not let this body uh, get into a, a bad situation. That is taken care of, well taken care of. That every member of it is attended to. And that's our responsibility. And then he goes on down and it says uh, in verse uh, 18, She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle, go, candle goeth not out by night. She makes the very best of everything that she has. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Do you have a high standard of all the work that you do? Do you desire to make it the very best? Someone says that, well, maybe you're a perfectionist. Well, I'd rather be a perfectionist than a slob. I'd rather try to do it right than to not care whether it's done right or not. And you know, we want to do it right. My dad used to tell me, he says, son, if it's worth doing, it's worth it. You've heard it. Your dad told you the same thing. It's worth doing right. And it, it is. And especially in God's business. God's business is worth doing right, isn't it? You know, there's nothing more discouraging. We have some good workmen in our church. I know of several of them. And Brother Nichols and Brother Walker and, and various ones and Tom and others. And all, many of you that have your particular field of service and and whatever it is. But I'm just saying this. There's nothing more in discouraging than to hire a man that's a carpenter or a plumber or electrician and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. Well, my, my answer to that is, if it doesn't matter, why don't you do it right? You know, it's just as easy to do it right. And I found out, you know, they run a pipe, a plumber will run a pipe across there and it'd be like that when he could go straight across. Think, well, why in the world do you run it like that? Well, he says the water runs through it. Well, I guess it does. Of course, it'll work. But when you've got all kinds of things going in there and you may need that other space and you may need it to run in a proper direction and there may be other things involved besides just his pipe, you know, that's going through there. Why doesn't he run it straight? You know. So I, I say that we can be very critical of things like that. But on the other hand, 
I, I feel like if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. So it says here, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Verse 18, look. Her a candle goes not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her, and her hands hold the distaff. You see what she does? Examples of skill and industry. And these were uh, instruments of, of the trade. And she stretches out her hand to the poor. Look at that. She cares for the poor. She stretches out her hand to the poor. She'll give to those that are in need. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Well, these are some good examples. Not only for virtuous women, mothers, and industrious women, and women in the workplace, but for all of us as well, men and women, for all of us to follow this direction, that we reach out our hands to the poor. And then she is not afraid, look at verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. If you have a marginal reference, it says double garments for scarlet. She is not afraid of the snow because she knows her family is well taken care of. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She tries to look uh, pleasant. She has a pleasant appearance. She provides the very best, best for her own uh, needs and for her guests as well. It says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She dresses him properly. She encourages him to look, look the way he should look. And she takes care of that particular part of, it, of his life. She's concerned about that. She's a loving wife in this respect. Her husband is known in the gates. The gates were symbolical of the place where, the, where they sat and the elders of the city sat uh, to do business. Like the mayor and all the councilmen. It's known as, remember it says, Lot sat in the gate. He was in the wrong gate, by the way. He was in Sodom, wasn't he? He should have been in a different city. He needed to get out of there quick. And finally the Lord had to drag him out. Send his angels to lead him out. And they would hardly go. Lot and his wife and his two daughters that were unmarried. He had other daughters that were married. And they perished in the city. But we find that her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Verse 24. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She's industrious. Industrious. And... Notice her clothing. She makes fine linen and selleth it. In verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. This is her clothing. This is her character is her clothing. And she rejoices in time to come. Look at the wonderful character that she has. Strength and honor. Clothed with what? Strength and honor. Clothed with the things that become a virtuous woman. And she rejoices. She shall rejoice in time to come. It will pay off in the future. Verse 26. She opened her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She's wise. She's intelligent. And she's kind. What a combination. To be wise and to be intelligent. And to be kind. She opened her mouth. As Brother Jim saying, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. She opened her mouth with wisdom. When you speak the right word at the right time, it means a great deal. Remember the little maid in Naaman's house? 
She said, if my Lord were down there where the man of God is, he would heal him of his leprosy. And the word got back to Naaman and the king, and they prepared his visit down to Elisha. And anyway, of course, you know the rebellion of Naaman. He's so proud, he thought, well, I'm taking money to pay for this, and all the stuff he took, he thought, well, you know, Elisha will come out and he'll lay his hand upon the place, and uh, everything will be okay. He'll just say something over my body and, and he'll work a miracle and I'll be gone on my way. But instead he was told to go down and dip himself seven times in the Jordan. That was very humiliating, wasn't it? He said, uh, the rivers where I came from are better than that. He says, they're clear water up there in this old muddy Jordan. Why should I dip in this? But he finally, you know, his servant says, Master, if, if he had asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. He says, why is it that you will not just humble yourself? Why will you not dip yourself into Jordan? So they finally persuaded him. And he was healed of his leprosy. But the little maid was the cause of it. Her word fitly spoken. In due time, in due season. All she said, if he would go down there, you know, that man of God, he'd take care of the situation. Heal him of his leprosy. And if it hadn't have been for that suggestion... And she didn't, you know, come down hard on it or anything. In fact, I'm not even sure that she spoke it, but just casually, maybe to the mistress or someone around about. There's no telling how he got the word. She did not speak it directly to him as I read the story. But she made the suggestion and it got to him in, in the proper way. So let's learn to be wise with our words. She opened her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. And when we say, let's say it kind. Let's say it in the proper way. My, if we could learn the lessons ourselves. We're not talking about just women here, are we? We're talking about women, men, people, every one of us, with kindness. A lady told me one time, she says, and I've always tried, I tried to memorize it. It says, be careful of the words you speak. Be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. So sometimes they come back to haunt us, don't they? Look at this next thing. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Idleness leads to what? Vice. We used to say an idle mind is the devil's workshop. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. If you don't have something to do, you find something to do. The best thing in the world for you, I don't care who you are, is you need to be busy. You need to be busy. You need to be doing something. Get your hobby, if nothing else. Get something that you enjoy doing. Get about being busy. And it says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Her children love her. And they call her blessed. Her husband praises her. It says in verse 29, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. It's as if her husband says, and whoever's writing, say, many daughters have done virtuously, but you exceed all of them. That's a wonderful testimony, isn't it? Her husband is so pleased with her conduct that he praiseth her. And it says in verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, reverences God, she shall be praised. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. In other words, we need to have that virtue come from within to without. Have you ever seen folks that really were kind of homely, but they had 
just a real pleasant appearance and attitude and character about them that you didn't look at that at all. I've known a lot of folks like that. And so it's not what's on the outside especially. We need to look the best we can and do the best we can with what we have. But on the other hand, the inside, it says, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And then the last verse, give her of, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. In other words, she's going to get her reward in due time. There's a reward coming for women like, for ladies like that, for the virtuous woman. Remember, this is written in the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet showing you that it's a complete picture. From A to Z, we might say. Here's from A to Z of a virtuous woman. And we thank you for your patience and kind attention. And we'll pick up, we'll start teaching uh, a series in the book of Ecclesiastes right away. We'll get that prepared and follow along. We have taught almost all the, the Old Testament up to this point. Through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, right on through, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, and up to this point. So, 